0: And welcome to episode 68 of the podcast. This is M, which you can subscribe to on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Everywhere you find, did I say, did I say, <laughs> did I say that word right? On Spotify, uh, everywhere you find good podcasts, you'll find this one. Take a minute, rate and review us, give us five stars, type a couple sentences about why you like the podcast and why others will also. And if you can think of one person in your life who you think would like the show, send them your favorite episode. Happy New Year, everyone. Uh, Hopefully everyone got what they wanted for Christmas or for Hanukkah or whatever you celebrate. And uh, shout out to all the people uh, who told themselves that they were going to start eating well and exercising in the new year. And uh, decided to wait until (laughs) Monday to start. Um, What's to say? Man, uh, I don't know. I feel this is the, the first podcast of the new year, 2021. And I feel like I should have, I don't know, something important to say on this occasion, but I don't. Uh, and I don't, honestly, I don't know that uh, many other people do either. Um, I, I mean, you know, I feel like a misanthrope when I say this, but people are so predictable. I mean, the minute this year ended and it's time for the new year, everybody's saying goodbye to 2020 and what a horrible year it was. And look, I mean, there's no doubt this year was uh, the hardest for uh, a lot of people in our lives. I, I, I don't know if I can say this has been um, the hardest year of our lives, but it's certainly one of the strangest in our lifetimes, if that makes sense. You know, there's probably other years of my life where I've had to deal with more difficult things, uh, in my personal life, but in terms of world events, this is one of the strangest years that, um, you know, presumably many of us have had to experience to date and hopefully, um, you know, will be the strangest of our lifetimes. Um, you know, this phrase, the new normal gets thrown around a lot and it's hard to know, what that means exactly, you know, I have a feeling that things will return to some type of normalcy um, when things calm down. I find it hard to believe that this will be uh, our way of life for the for the rest of our lives, but uh, who can really predict at this point? <sighs> for some reason, I'm thinking about people who work in restaurants all of a sudden. I don't know why that popped into my mind, but... Um, Yeah, maybe I'm just thinking as someone who worked in food service for a long time, I think when I think about life not returning to its normal state, I just think uh, in terms of of businesses, right? Something like this happens, and then... Uh, I guess sometimes I just imagine myself what I'll be like with my own children when they announce to me what type of job they want to, they, they want to pursue or what kind of career they want to have. And, uh, because I live in this very specific time period, I'm going to be the person who says, Oh, well, that's a great career. That's pandemic proof. And that'll be a type of thinking that may just be indicative of the time period I was raised in. You know, some of us have grandparents who lived during the great depression and when people say, God, uh, grandpa's such a ball buster or grandmother's such a worrywart, you know, they're, they're excused by saying, oh, well, you know, she, uh, grandma's a product of the depression or grandpa's a product of the depression. Uh, I guess I wonder, you know, what sort of, uh, paradigm informing influences are happening on each of us right now, uh, that will uh, indicate that we are members of the pandemic generation, so to speak. Um, you know, in what ways are we being formed by this that, of course, there's the ways that we're all aware of, right? I mean, we're having to social distance. Um, I think, well, I was going to say the way that we interact with each other is changing, right? I, I went for a walk around my neighborhood yesterday, and, you know, I feel this all the time. I'm just drawing on it now, but, you know, we have to be strangers to each other now. I, I There's this part of a in this sort of neighborhood that's adjacent to me, there's this playground. And as I turn the corner, and I see that there are groups of families. There's a lot of parents with their children there, and they're all playing on the, on the playground. And my first response is like judgment. You know, I'm judging these parents for letting their kids play together on this playground. And I just... <laughs> I don't know. I just felt so isolated in my cantankerousness, if that makes sense. It was just you know, I I don't know. It it was, it's a, obviously a a judgment I cast on these people that I just, I wouldn't have had under any other circumstance. Right. Since this whole pandemic thing, uh, I feel like we're already like, you know, we're already judging each other a lot. And now this whole pandemic thing has just given us an entirely new, I don't know, rubric to scrutinize people against. You know, I think we've all felt that mounting in terms of like our, you know, whether it's our political discourse or social discourse, in the years leading up to this. And I feel like this pandemic and basically people's response to it has just been another way to sort of, um, I don't know, filter people through and who they are and basically whether or not they're good or bad people, I think is really what I'm getting at. Um, you know, there's this phrase they say, it's something's clinically, uh, predictable, According to someone's pathology, there are certain behaviors that are just clinically predictable. We may not know that about we may not know it about them yet, but based on our uh experience we can we can just predict that that this person is will or has engaged in a certain type of behavior um uh, they probably do this with criminals also but um but uh I'm just thinking about the major issues that you can basically determine a lot about someone by like some people are just single issue voters right? Like they vote, uh, uh, abortion is the one that jumps to mind. You can basically tell who a person is based on where they fall on certain issues. And, uh, you know, a lot of people don't want to be this reductive in their reasoning, but it's like, you can tell a lot about a person by their response, uh, to the pandemic, whether or not they think it's real, right? You can tell a lot about a person by who they vote for. Uh, if someone's a Trump supporter, I don't know. It, it just feels safe to assume, uh, certain things about them. And the same is true for, um, I mean, the same is true for the the Liberal Party also. Um, So what does all this amount to? Yeah, I don't know. Strange times. I think the whole reason, I don't even know why I go down this road, but the whole thing I'm even thinking about is in terms of the new year and saying that people are predictable. And I was saying that, you know, everybody's posting on social media, like, goodbye to 2020, and then this is the year, you know, this is the year that's going to be theirs. Um uh, God, I I mean, maybe I am just a misanthrope or a bad person, but there's so many people I'm connected with on social media that I don't even like, you know? And, uh, but for some reason it's like, because I look at their content, you know, as I'm sort of scrolling through Instagram or even going through my Facebook feed, there are certain people, maybe there's like a dozen or so who I strongly dislike. Uh, and yet I'm connected with them on social media and, uh, I think because I fixate on their content, you know, I scroll through it and it gives me, and I, I think this is actually the, uh, um, what's the word? The uh, uh, the algorithm that Facebook is based on, right? Whatever elicits the strongest response in you. And I think the strongest response we usually have is anger or disgust is what you land on. And Facebook doesn't really care what you feel about it. It just goes, oh, you're engaging with this type of content. Let me show you more of it. And And it usually happens to be things that piss us off. I think that's what Uh, Facebook does particularly well. But, you know, there's this one person I landed on who was in this like yoga pose, you know, and it's always like the people who are broadcasting how much clarity they have and how much insight they have and how uh, much learning they've done in in the last year, they usually seem to be the most lost. You know, it's like people who uh, broadcast how happy they are. It's like, oh, you cry yourself to sleep, don't you? But, um, Yeah. People who just say like, uh, I don't, I don't know. It's just, I I don't believe people when they say like, Oh, this year taught me gratitude. This year taught me how to appreciate people this year, uh, taught me how to hold space for myself. And it's like, um, that doesn't feel real to me. Those don't think those don't feel like benchmarks that you actually can quantify and, uh, and reach. Does that make sense? like losing weight is a very concrete benchmark. Oh, I lost 40 pounds. Oh, I lost 20 pounds. Oh, I can run nine miles. These sort of ephemeral, I don't know, emotional slash spiritual goals that people claim to have reached. It's like, I don't know how you, I don't know how you, (laughs) I don't know how you know that. And by the way, my other thought as I'm saying this is, you know, if life has taught me anything, it's that every, nothing's permanent you know, you think you've reached a certain stage in your life, just give it time. (laughs) You know, I mean, I think I was saying this when I was reflecting on a friend of mine who recently was, you know, I say inculcated into the cult of Donald Trump, uh, this, this sort of creative person that I know who, at least according to their social media has skewed very much to the sort of alt-right end of the spectrum. And, uh, you know, I don't know. It's just, and, I, and really I draw on my own experience too, is people think they land in this place where they have something figured out. It's sort of like uh, when you're a young kid and you like certain bands. It's like you want to get a Pearl gem tattoo when you're 16. It's like, why don't you give it four years and see if you even listen to this band anymore? You know, life is long. You live, if you're doing it right, you live 10,000 lives, you know, in the span of one. You're 10,000 different people the things you like today, the things you swear by today, the things you want to get tattooed on your body. If you're doing it right, you're going to look up at 10 years and want to be a completely different person. <clears throat> I mean, I'm reflecting on, I think this came up around long, man, many episodes ago when we were talking about uh, the pristine sneaker life. I was reflecting on, it's so strange to me to see, you know, uh, parents now who are just uh, covered in tattoos you know? And, uh, and in some ways I know I'm fucking bouncing all over the place here, but I was talking about, I was talking with my brother yesterday and we were talking about people's costumes, you know? Uh, and I think, yeah, I just think the end of all that, the point is I was sort of, uh, romanticizing the the pristine sneaker life that the real Jedi perspective is not giving a fuck what people think about you. Um, and even now, I guess I've sort of reflected on this, and this sounds like a fucking world of bullshit from a guy who has a podcast where he feels the need to sort of uh, broadcast the stream of consciousness uh, for an hour, uh, an hour a week to uh, anybody who will listen. But, uh, you know, in an era where uh, uh, two thoughts, two thoughts are happening at the same time. When I was speaking with my brother, he was reflecting, he's sort of transitioning, you know, he got his doctorate in one field, he's sort of transitioning in terms of his career now into another field, and he was uh, unhappy to see all the things that he's sort of expected to do uh, explicitly, implicitly, I'm not really sure what the word I'm trying to think of here is, but, you know, to be a member of this community, to 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 market yourself, there's a lot of things you have to engage with, and a lot of that is social media, and, uh you know, the way it's framed is that you need to create, uh, you need to be on Twitter, you need to have a blog, because you basically need to find a way to uh, create a portfolio and broadcast, you know, what you're doing that's unique. And I don't know if we really went into it, but my thought, and it's coming up again in this conversation, is, you know, to truly be different, you have to do something different. And it's like, it's not the type of thing that you can be celebrated for, which I think is why we don't see it happening. But, you know, in an era where everybody's begging for attention and everybody's, you know, clamoring for, um, you know, approval really, but really just uh, attention. Uh, you know, the real Jedi thing is to not be engaged at all. Like, do you ever come across one of your friends? And I'm not talking about one of your your parents' friends or an older adult where it sort of makes sense, but someone of your generation who's not connected to social media whatsoever. They don't have an Instagram, they don't have a Facebook, they have none of that stuff. And uh, when you reflect on that person, what are they like? Because I know a few people. I know a few people who are adults. Uh, well, I'm an adult, but people my age who sort of grew up in the internet uh, generation who don't have Facebook, they don't have Instagram, and and they're all pretty cool people. <laughs> you know, they certainly don't have, um, or they don't see, you know, no, we can never know who people are in their private lives, but they don't seem to have that sort of that thirsty quality that a lot of us... Uh, that a lot of us seem to uh, be wrestling with a lot of times. I guess I just sort of wonder, like when I when I think about what's motivating the behavior of the person who's, you know, making the posts when they're they're in the yoga pose and they're telling everybody what they've accomplished this year in terms of their personal growth and development. You just think, what's motivating that? And I don't think I'm trying to come across as holier than thou. I mean, it's, I think it's something that I actually understand. I mean, as someone who's had a (laughs) creative career and had to, uh, or maybe I should even say aspire to have a creative career, but someone who's, uh, you know, at least existed to their friends and anybody who would listen, having to promote yourself, you know, creating, uh, creative content and, uh, you know, trying to get people to look at it and give you money for it. Um, I get it. It's wanting, you know, it's wanting approval. I guess I sort of, I feel weird. How can, why do I feel so critical of that when that's really, I don't know, isn't that just the human condition? Isn't that what we're all dealing with? <laughs> there's a part of me that's, even as I'm saying this, I'm going, you know, there's nothing profound in what I'm saying, but there's a part of me that just thought, maybe I should start smoking weed again so that this stuff does feel profound. You know, I was talking with somebody else in my life recently saying, you know, there were times in my life, even when I was smoking pot on a regular basis, that I, like you would have these moments where you would kind of have a certain type of high where you feel like you break your brain and you kind of your, your mind kind of goes into the stratosphere and you feel like you transcend some kind of perspective in your life that you live with every day. You know, you've penetrated into some deeper truth, and it's not like any new bits of information have entered your head. It's just a new perspective. You know, you feel like, oh man, I go through my life with this one cloak of experience, and now that I'm in this altered state, it's like I, my mind has expanded to encompass some, you know, heretofore unknown truth. And you think, how can I go back to my life and live how I've been living, knowing what I know now. <laughs> and then you go to bed, and you wake up, and you're just back in your life. For some reason, I'm thinking about the opening of uh, the movie Adaptation. It's the uh, Charlie Kaufman film. I th- I wonder if he directed it, actually. I'd probably be embarrassed if I saw who really directed it. I should know this, maybe. Maybe it is him, but uh, starring Nicolas Cage, where he plays his own twin... Meryl Streep is not it. Um, really, really good movie. But it sort of opens with this monologue, this sort of voiceover monologue from Nicolas Cage, where he's doing the type of internal monologue that many people like Charlie Kaufman, many creative people, I think many people in life understand, which is his sort of self-talk, his sort of self-motivation, even though he, he really feels insecure. He's saying things like, oh yeah, I'm going to do X, Y, and Z. You know what? I'm going to work out. I'm really going to do it this time. No bullshit. And it's like, uh, I don't know, man. I don't know. I'm talking about bullshit here. I'm just sort of feeling my way forward in the dark. Maybe what this is actually going toward is like New Year's resolutions. (laughs) Maybe what I'm trying to get at here is this, you know, we make these declarative statements about tomorrow I'm going to be a different person. You know, I've been wrestling with X, Y, and Z, but tomorrow I'm going to be a different person. You know, tomorrow, it almost like, for some reason I'm thinking about like when you watch action movies... A lot of times what determines the outcome of the fight is the will of the person, of the combatant. Like, you'll be watching a movie where the good guy's fighting the bad guy, and they every time they face off, the bad guy has to kick some serious ass in the beginning of the fight. I mean, you you know, most action movies hinge on this final showdown where you have to believe that the, the hero is taken right to the cusp, and they just when you think they, they're about to be surmounted by the villain... They spring back, and usually what happens in that moment <laughs> is the hero summons their will. <laughs> you know, they've had, uh, they've been pistol whipped, they've been kicked in the gut, um, they've been thrown around, they may even have tossed down a flight of stairs, but they reach a moment where they've had enough, and they do that moment where they like look and they go. Arr! and they like growl or they you know they basically just inflate themselves and decide that the punches aren't going to hurt them anymore <laughs> you know they uh they just basically decide that the punches are not going to faze them anymore and uh overpower the villain you know they'll like catch catch his fist in their hand and start to push back and the villain's eyes widen and they say what's going on here they feel the table start to turn and then it's on like donkey kong I feel like that, you know, we take that, I feel like we take that on in our lives sometimes. You know, as if we can just, as if we are the person we are today just by choice. You know, as if the behaviors that we're engaging in that are keeping us from what we think we want, or maybe in fact what we do want, you know, aren't fulfilling some profound purpose for us. Not something that makes us happy necessarily, but some kind of profound purpose. You know, this may sound like a Captain Obvious statement, but we do the things that we do for a reason. Uh, you know, we develop the habits that we do and we, get, we engage in the behaviors that we do because they do something for us. <clears throat> they meet some immediate need. You know, not, not some long-term goal that we've set for ourselves, or some uh, character we want to ultimately embody, some kind of hero we, we ultimately want to embody. They meet a very immediate need for us, maybe even something more critical. You know, for the person who I maybe and I, you know, I, all the time I get on these conversations, and I, a lot of times I am talking about other people, but maybe it's more effective if I just talk about myself, so I don't sound so judgmental. But you know, for me, like quitting cigarettes is a perfect example. Um, I don't know that I've ever really thought to articulate what it is exactly, but you know, other than the clear biological dependency, like you develop an addiction to nicotine, but there's something that that addiction or that chemical injection is doing for you in the moment. And I remember when I, when I smoke, uh, and it's been two. I mean, I started smoking when I was like 11 years old, uh, just casually, just kind of stealing cigarettes out of ashtrays. Um, I, I mean, I've always hung out with older people, so sometimes they would have cigarettes. I'd get a cigarette here or there. Um, But I was a regular smoker by the time I was maybe 13 or 14. I was smoking on a regular basis. And by my freshman year of high school, I was smoking a pack a day. By the middle of my freshman year of high school, and this is while I was away at boarding school, mind you, (laughs) when you weren't allowed to smoke. I mean, forget the fact that it's not even legal (laughs) for me to be smoking. Uh, You're not supposed to be smoking uh, at your boarding school. But I smoked uh, a pack a day. And uh, that continued for, uh, I would say, until I was, I think it was 22. And at my worst, I was two and a half packs a day. By the time I moved out when I was 17 and lived on my own, I was smoking at at least a pack a day, pack and a half, two packs, two and a half packs a day. It was insane and insanely expensive. Um, You know, I reflect on this period of my life, and I'll get back to the story, I guess, but I reflect on this period of my life where Uh, I was like 17. I was living in Arizona. I was living in this duplex by myself. And um, I mean, I had some financial support from my family and uh, uh, worked a little bit too. I had some wham, some walking around money. But I remember being broke a lot. And I remember having to sell stuff all the time just to get some money for the day. And I remember uh, I had this like suitcase slash backpack type thing. And I remember I would just like fill it up with books, you know, I would fill it up with books that I had, or sometimes DVDs. And I would go to this, uh, uh used bookstore place in Tucson called Bookman's. They had a couple locations, but I had one right at the corner, uh, right at the street from my house. I used to bike there and sell stuff to get like $20, to get like a meal from the McDonald's across the street and, uh, like two packs of cheap ass cigarettes. Like these, uh, I don't know, GPC is the brand name that's coming to mind. I don't know if that's what it was. Uh, I think there used to be these cigarettes called Austin's too. Anyway, they were like $2 a pack or some shit. So I can get like two packs of those cigarettes and, uh, and like a fast food meal. So, uh, but that was a necessity to me. Yeah, I don't know why I went into that part of the story, except that that was a necessity to me. But when I reflect on the times where I did smoke, this is where I'm getting at, I did. I would light them off each other. You know, Even when I, I had this period, I mean, I quit from the time I was like 22 to 30, and then I smoked for like a year and a half, and then I, I've, I've, I've since quit again. And it's been like four years since I've smoked. But um, when I start smoking, I just like light them off each other. I'll smoke at least a pack a day. And it's like, it's just like, there's just something about that. Um, And I guess I'm thinking about people who eat compulsively too. It's just any kind of compulsory behavior. It's just something you're doing to keep from doing something else. (laughs) Maybe is the common thread. I'm just doing it to not feel. Like as long as I'm smoking, I'm doing something. I mean, I used to reflect on this too. Like, you know, people go outside to smoke. It's like, you might as well just be standing outside in the cold, if you happen to live in a place where it's cold, you're not really doing anything. You know? (sighs) What was I talking about? Oh, yeah, these things meet immediate needs for us. Um... Although when I think about it, maybe this is, uh, maybe I'm... uh, maybe I'm speaking out of both sides of my mouth when I say this, but at the end of the day, I guess if you do want to change your behavior, you do just kind of have to decide to do it. I mean, some people are able to uh, taper down on things. You know, I've heard of some people who were able to quit drinking or a drug or even cigarettes by tapering down. You know, let's say you drink a six pack of beer a day and you go, well, this week I'll drink six, next week I'll drink four next week I'll drink three and you sort of taper down that way. But I, I don't think that usually works very effectively for people. An actual, an actual fact, and now I, now I definitely am uh, speaking against what I was saying before, but on some point you really do have to quit cold turkey. Hmm. Wow. Well, this has been uh, consciousness raising for all of us, hasn't it? Yeah. I guess when I think on my actual life though, the times where I have changed my behavior, it's been cold turkey. But I would argue, I would argue even then that that, the decisive action comes at the tail of a lot of hard thinking. So anyway, yeah, maybe this is, uh, maybe this is all just a bunch of uh, nonsense then, but I guess, um, and I guess presumably people do do the same thing also. But I think for, for me, you know, anytime I've made a definitive change in my life, it just, it, it. It came in a moment. I just sort of decide to do something different and I do, but it's usually because I've been, (laughs) you know, I've sort of tortured myself about the topic for a long time. I mean, I remember when I started running for the first time, I was 26 or 26, 27. I can't really remember, but I remember I had just started going to therapy. Uh, I don't know if it was in the first year or what, but I remember I was getting some show posters printed. Uh, I went to this photocopy place in Berkeley. It's no longer there, but uh, I had to get some. Maybe I don't know if it was tour posters or some some show I had coming up where I had to get some um, some posters printed. And I remember sitting down waiting for the stuff to get printed. And I look over at this coffee table that they had with some brochures, and I see a brochure for this half marathon in Las Vegas in uh, November or something. And it was probably six months before that, maybe seven months. I, I don't quite remember. But I just remember, and, I, and I've never been, up until this point, I'd never been physically active in my life. I mean, I'd never gone jogging. I'd never, other than like walking, I enjoyed walking, but I never really played a sport, really, not really. You know, I never lifted weights. I never did anything like that. And I remember looking at this brochure and just deciding, oh, I'm going to do that. <laughs> you know, I'm going to do that. I'm, uh, on that date, I'm going to run that half marathon. And uh, lo and behold, six months later, I did. Yeah. Yeah, dude, if I guess, I don't, I don't know if I'm being honest, I guess, I guess I want... Yeah, I want another moment like that. <laughs> if I'm being honest, uh, maybe I'm uh, bemoaning everybody else's uh, New Year's resolutions because I, I feel like in actual fact there's a lot of things I want to change about my life right now that I feel like I, I need the power to change. Wow, we've really come. Wow, whoa, 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 whoa. This is some heavy stuff. I was just getting all scroogey and Grinchy on everybody. When the truth is, I needed to take a good, <laughs> I needed to take a good long look in the mirror at myself. Wow wow, this has been insightful. Yeah, the truth is there's a lot of things about my life I want to change right now that I I don't feel like I have the power to change. I've been sedentary this entire year. I fucking hate that. I feel gross. You know what I mean? I feel like I'm just hanging on. And I don't mean like, uh, I guess when I reflect on how I feel lately, it's not good. And I think, you know, I've been sedentary. I've certainly gained weight. But for people who are... um, I mean, I, 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 don't know. I just, I feel bad. There's a general malaise over my life. And I just think, you know, if my, if my health were significantly worse, and for many people it is, I just think, I, I just don't know how you'd get through the day. How can you be productive in other areas of your life if your health is not great, you know? Um, compared to others, my health is not that bad. It's not that bad and yet I feel it affecting me, uh, on kind of a deep level. And, um, Deep enough for me. Maybe that's the way I should frame it. Deep enough for me. I mean, when I reflect on my drinking too, I mean, uh, I assume we've talked about this. Uh, You know, I I drank for a while and ended up going to, I get getting some kind of uh, recovery program for it. Very sort of a recovery light, if you will. It was not like a residential program. I'm not in AA. I don't go to meetings. This was enough for me. But, uh, you know, I drank every day for years of my life. And it's not like my life was depraved. Nobody else in my life would have said that it was a problem. But it it was bad for me, you know? I think because I was ambitious, there were things I wanted to accomplish, and there was a decent chance that they weren't going to happen anyway. I guess I always wanted to remove any variable in my life that I thought I could look back on and say oh, well, if I hadn't done X, maybe I would have been successful. And I know you can never do those things, but there are obvious things that I think most of us, you know, I'm sure there's people listening who who have things in their life they want to exercise, right? Um, you know, things they want excise, maybe is the word I meant. They want to excise, things they want to get rid of. But um, yeah, so for me, it was like, yeah, I'm going to quit drinking. And uh you know, people were sort of laughing at me. <laughs> you know, when you're in a meeting with people who are like full-blown alcoholics and they're talking about their drinking and you have none of the stories that they have, you know, people who are drinking like uh, a mouthwash, the cop buzz, or, you know, uh, I mean, you want to respect people's stories. I don't want to say too much, but uh, you know, you can imagine people who are in recovery, the horror stories that they have to have to tell, People selling their bodies for substances, uh, you know, dis- dismantling their lives, destroying their families, um, you know, continuing to use in in the face of consequences that most of us would just can't even imagine. Uh, I never had to experience anything like that, and yet I, you know, I wasn't happy, and that was enough. What is that? Well, you know, I talk to people sometimes, and you know, they're dealing with loved ones or family members who are dealing with consequences from their lives and their behaviors that they, they just, they can't understand. I mean, if you ever watch a show like Hoarders or uh, even, I think there, there was a show called Intervention too. But Hoarders for me is um, probably a pretty good example, which is, you know, you look at the state of some people's homes or their lives and you just think, how did it come to that? you know, my, I'm looking around my place right now. It's not very clean. Um, you know, I wouldn't be thrilled if someone walked in here without me being prepared for them, just because it's not, (coughs) excuse me, (coughs) man, got that coronavirus. Got that Corona cough. Um, I don't know. It's not pristine. And, um, Yeah, and yet I couldn't imagine living in a hoarding type environment. Um, what was I saying? Sorry, that cough really derailed me. I think I was thinking this idea where some people they well, didn't you didn't you notice when it started to get a little out of control? Like when you walk into some of these houses and it's basically uh, mountains of trash. I mean, just actual mountains of trash inside their old. I think there was one episode I saw where someone had to buy another house to accommodate the garbage, and you just think, how does it get to that point? When most of us would have stopped or turned back or changed our behavior. You know, some people can't stop themselves. I guess what I'm getting at for all of this is that, you know, they don't make sense. Maybe this is the key here. It doesn't make sense. The things that we do, they don't make sense. They're not logical. You know, reason and, uh, or and it's good reason, maybe is the better word for it, but good reason does not motivate uh, our behavior you know, it's all emotional. Um, yeah. Okay. (laughs) I don't know. I feel myself uh, trying to force myself into some kind of point here, (sighs) but I don't know. Yeah. It's sort of weird. I mean, I, I don't know. I'm trying to avoid these types of uh, commentaries on the podcast, but um, there's been so much input in my brain lately. I feel like when I sit down, I should just be firing off and talking about stuff. And yet lately it's just kind of felt like a slog for me. <clears throat> it feels a little, uh, contrived. <clears throat> I mean, yeah, I'm reading a lot. I'm, I'm watching a lot of movies. I have thoughts about those, but, um, I don't know. I don't know if that's interesting for people to, to hear about. I was thinking though, I've been watching a lot of Kurosawa. I mentioned that on the on the last episode, and uh, just started. I mean, you know, I've never. There's another famous filmmaker named Ozu. I've never seen his movies before, but I just started watching one, and it's it's beautiful. Um, uh, I guess I don't have a lot to say about that about Ozu yet, but um, but it was something. Last night I was watching Throne of Blood, which. Uh, uh, is Kurosawa's uh, adaptation of of Macbeth, which you know we've talked about Macbeth a lot on this podcast. Macbeth is a huge influence on me, and so you know I had seen Throne of Blood a couple times, probably when I was like uh, sixteen or so. I had this period, you know, my sister had like moved out. We were still living with my mom, me and my brother. And uh, my sister's old room had like been transformed into my computer room for some reason. I had my computer in there, and nobody really used that room as far as I can remember. And so that's where I would watch movies. You know, I would get DVDs and just watch them on the computer. And so there was this whole period where I watched a lot of Kurosawa, Bergman. I mean, I basically that was like my first introduction to film when I was like probably 15 or 16. I would just sort of watch movies in there every night. And I remember, this is insane, but (laughs) I used to, there was a period where I was making margaritas too. I mean, I happened to grow up in a household where, you know, our mother didn't really care if we drank. And I I just remember like watching movies in that room and then at intervals going out into the kitchen and like making blended margaritas for myself (laughs) and like copping a buzz on a school night. But, uh, but uh, that was the that was the time period where I would have watched Throne of Blood, and I and I for years I've I've always said that Throne of Blood was like really great. As I've been and I guess I've sort of mentioned this on the other part of the episode too, which is around the previous uh, episode rather, where you know Kurosawa for me was like the first filmmaker that I can think of that really sort of meant a lot to me, and maybe Tarantino probably fits that bill also, but um, you know Kurosawa was different; he was not a modern filmmaker right? He was a historical figure. Um, you know, Quentin Tarantino has always been a part of the popular culture, whereas Kurosawa was more a part of film culture. And so it just, I don't know, it feels like, you know, my, my interest in Kurosawa just felt more uh, legitimizing, if that makes sense. But, um, but Kurosawa was the first filmmaker that I, that I sort of, you know, got into their movies and and, and, and sort of considered their body of work, if that makes sense. But, um, But also when I when I reflect on that time period, I go, you know, when you actually sit down to watch a Kurosawa film, I don't know, I don't know if they're as entertaining <laughs> as one generally uh, reports them to be, right? Um, they're slow, they're old, they're dated, um, they're not very in- engaging. You know, I, I sort of use Tenant as the counterpoint. You know, Tenant may have its own frustrations, right? And it may not be a wholly enjoyable experience, but at least it's a it's a movie of now. You know, it's it, it's sort of technically flawless. Um, you know, it's just harder to engage with something like Throne of Blood. Uh, and I, I don't know. I guess my whole point with this is, I was watching Throne of Blood and I thought, oh, this is pretty plotting. Like this is actually not a very entertaining movie. And I guess I was sort of reflecting on it because it comes on the heels. You know, Throne of Blood was made shortly after Seven Samurai, and it was sort of weird because as I'm watching Throne of Blood, I I, I I was thinking if you had told me this was an early Kurosawa movie, that would have made sense because it has a lot of like constituent components of Kurosawa. There are some kind of uh, cool shots with the armies and all those sorts of things, but it's not wholly engaging. There's the, the, In the acting, there's a lot of melodrama. You know, Tashiro Mifune is an actor who's in a lot of Kurosawa's movies. And even though he's, you know, good in this movie... It's uh it's almost like a stage play. It's 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 kind of melodramatic. Um and by the end of it I was like, you know, the only reason that this movie exists or persists, I think, is because of the ending. You know, there's this very famous sequence at the end of Throne of Blood where Teshima Mifune or the you know, he's his Macbeth character. I think his his character is like Bushizu or something like that, but you know, at the end of Macbeth, <clears throat> his castle is besieged you know, he uh, he rises to power, he kills people, and all of a sudden, because of his pride, you know, he, he has to be overthrown, right? In, uh, in the play, he fights a character named McDuff and gets his head cut off, but in Throne of Blood, in Kurosawa's adaptation, he basically gets rained, <laughs> he gets showered with arrows that just keep coming at him over and over again, and he gets stuck like you know uh, two dozen times but he keeps fighting he keeps trying to run away and meanwhile these just these showers of arrows are just raining down on him it's a very famous sequence and anybody who ever sees it it's like unforgettable um it's just the type of thing where as you're watching it you're 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 going wow this is incredible and you know it's just a part of cinema history no one no one would have to tell you that this was a, a staple of cinema history the first time you saw it you would never forget it but um I think it's that sequence alone that we still watch that movie. And primarily, actually, because it influenced the end of uh, uh, Brian De Palma's movie, Scarface. Ugh. So cinematic. But if you've seen Scarface, and many of you have, that whole end sequence where Al Pacino, spoiler alert, gets shot like 10,000 times. And he says, you think you can stun me? I still standing. (laughs) That's what he says. I still standing. Yeah, that's uh that's from uh that's taken from Throne of Blood. And actually when you rewatch the sequence you see a lot of similarities, the way the archers sort of run up the stairs and anyway. Um What am I talking about though? I don't know. Seven Samurai is great though. I guess as I was watching Throne of Blood, knowing it came after Seven Samurai, it's kind of uh, surprising. I mean I know that uh everybody's creative output is sort of uh there's hills and valleys and people create great things, and sometimes the things they do after that are not so great. But it does feel, like, markedly not as good as Seven Samurai, and not just on a scope level, like Seven Samurai is just, like, a big story. Uh, on a technical level, too, there's just, it's not as well shot, it doesn't seem as well considered. Um, Toshiro Mifune's not as good, you know? <laughs> I don't know, it's just, it's just, a, it's just it's a different type of movie, you know? Um and I think it was actually after Ikuru, too. I think it was, like, Ikuru... I can't remember which one was made for. Seventh Samurai or, or Ikuru. Ikuru. Um But anyway. You know, there's a part of me, I talk about these things, and I think, I don't really know what I'm talking about. Like, I feel like it would be one thing if this was, like, a... Uh, you know, I see these YouTube channels, or I see... Uh, uh, I'm not sure there are podcasts, too. I don't listen to any. <laughs> I don't listen to any, but you know cinema centered podcasts where people present these sort of well thought out structured uh analyses of uh, of films and uh i don't know i just sort of uh meander through my half baked takeaways from movies and uh oh boy yeah dude maybe i just need my girlfriend back in town <laughs> It's been a, it's been a month now. Your boy's been living that bachelor lifestyle for a month. Yeah, it's been strange. I sort of, uh, you know, I think back and I think, you know, my time is all, you know, there was school for a while, but that's been over for a few weeks and I still, I'm surprised I don't start school for till the end of the month. So I still got quite a bit more time, excuse me, on my own. And, um, oh, you know what I thought? You know what I thought in terms of uh, how much of our interests or influences or whatever I was saying was being influenced by uh, the time period, maybe due to the pandemic? At the end of the last episode, I was talking about this sort of strange, surprising interest I've had uh, considering like owning a pistol. Um, there's a part partner that says I probably shouldn't talk about that <laughs> too much on a podcast. If I ever do acquire a firearm, it's probably not wise to let people know, uh, what you have in terms of your method of self-defense so that they can prepare a counter strike. <laughs> but, uh, I'm actually, I, I signed up for a shooting class. There's this range uh, in the Bay Area where I'm going to go and, and take the shooting class. So, uh, we'll see. Maybe I'll go to the range and learn a little bit about gun safety and, and fire a couple rounds and maybe that'll satisfy my desire. Um, but that's, uh, that's a strange thing I found myself interested in that maybe I wouldn't be interested in if it weren't for the pandemic. It certainly would be interested in if it weren't for, uh, uh, reading Elmore Leonard. Uh, I just finished reading the Raylan series. There's three novels and I guess there's a short story too that I haven't read, but there's, uh, three novels that are this sort of, this character Raylan Gibbons that Elmore Leonard wrote about. The first novel is called Pronto. Sorry, I keep punching the mic this episode. I never do that. I should probably move it. Um Yeah, there's a novel called Pronto, a novel called uh Riding the Rap, and then the final one's just called Raylan. Um But it was actually reading uh, Out of Sight, his novel Out of Sight. He describes his character who's in love with her, Sig Sauer, 38, and I was like, you know, Elmer Leonard mentions a lot of guns and I just don't know what to, what to picture. And I'm like, oh, is that a pistol? Is that a uh, a machine gun? <laughs> like, I don't, I don't know what these guns are. So I just looked up this six hour. Uh, I went to YouTube and of course, YouTube just shows you more of what you're looking at. So I just stumbled on all these gun videos, watching people shoot pistols. And uh, it made me think, oh, I think I can get into that. <laughs> Although this is the crazy part. When you actually go to look into it, And I guess I shouldn't be surprised. I mean, if people are, um, if people are making a rush on stores for toilet paper, I guess I shouldn't be surprised that people are, there's like panic buying, uh, guns and ammunition, uh, because of the pandemic. But, um, yeah, I guess it's really hard to find ammunition for, for guns these days. Um, Yeah. Yeah, I don't know if I'm at the end of my uh, popular reading stuff, but I uh I picked up uh I have a couple more books <laughs> coming in the mail, but that those are going to take like a week. <clears throat> I think like with the new year and stuff, I think uh yeah, the mail is a little delayed. But uh right before this uh school year or, or the school semester started rather, you know, I was on this whole Dostoyevsky kick. I was thinking on our last New Year's episode, I had this four-hour episode called Crime and Punishment, where I was talking about all that stuff. And, uh, you know, I still had a couple more novels to read. So this was, you know, well into the beginning of 2020, I was reading, uh, uh, Demons and, uh, what is it called? Is it The Idiot? (laughs) I don't know, I'll have to look. But, um, but, uh, I sort of stopped. I I got, uh, about a hundred pages into his novel, The Adolescent, and, uh, or a youth. I think some people translate it as, but, um, uh, and I just sort of put it down and then I probably stopped reading for a while, but I just picked that up again. I thought, uh, I have a couple, you know, about a week before I get more of these, I think I have another, what do I have coming in? Oh, actually I have The Shining coming in. Uh, The Shining and, uh, actually the novel, uh, Silence, a Japanese author, I forget the name, but, um, Ido maybe? Hold on, I have to sneeze here excuse me um Martin Scorsese actually made a movie of this novel called Silence that I don't think a lot of people saw um and I actually had forgotten that I'd seen it I probably saw it uh I think I think the movie came out in like 2018 I saw it streaming somewhere uh maybe on Amazon or something like that but uh it's pretty good anyway I got the novel we'll see how we'll see if it's good but um but uh I don't know I thought I'd read this Dostoevsky novel so what am I saying I don't know I feel more literary I guess It is weird to go from reading, like, Elmore Leonard and Stephen King to going back to reading Dostoevsky. It's just, um, I mean, obviously it's a completely different vibe and feel. You know, I don't know if it's good or bad, but it's just different. So anyway, it's Sunday here, you know, got some work tomorrow, Uh, it's pretty late, and I told myself I'm going to go for a walk tonight, we'll see if I live up to that, otherwise yeah, You know, as I'm falling into these silences, I'm thinking, you know, I haven't had therapy in like two weeks and, uh, in two days I have therapy again. And I'm just wondering, you know, sometimes there's this idea, like when I don't have therapy for a while, I'm hoping that I'll just sort of go in and I'll just have a lot pen up and I'll just be able to talk wall to wall for the entire session. I'm, I, I, I bet I fall into a silence after the first 15 minutes and, um, and, uh, yeah. I guess as I'm doing this I'm just thinking it's been a you know I'm not saying the podcast has been easy recently but it's been a while since it felt like this. You know I think last week I was sort of equating it to like a marathon, you <laughs> know. You know maybe uh with a format like this uh, doing 100 episodes is a bit like a marathon and maybe we've sort of hit the hit the wall a little bit. I also just feel in general, I'm just, I don't know, I've had a lot of self-doubt recently. A lot of, uh, I don't want to say, well, maybe it is a confidence crisis, but I've just, I don't know. Maybe it's my, my, you know, my general uh, sort of seasonal affective stuff, but um, yeah, I don't know. Maybe, maybe it's just another hiccup in this whole pandemic thing that we're all experiencing. Like, I feel like when the pandemic first hit, it was sort of a weird a couple weeks, maybe even a month for a lot of us where we felt just kind of disillusioned and it was hard to focus on things and it was just difficult. And then I think we kind of settled into the things. And then I feel like at the six month mark, I had another couple weeks where it was just, it was hard again. And and, and it felt like for no reason at all, just all of a sudden it was hard again. And I wonder if a lot of us are going through the same thing now. Maybe it's the new year, maybe it's the season, (laughs) but I feel a lot of that coming up again. You know, it just, things feel harder all of a sudden. And I'm not sure why that is. You know, I should, I don't know. I I just, I'm surprised that I don't feel a general sense of relief. Maybe this is a part of being on break from school. You know, I think we're all this way when we're kids also. It's like, we look forward to a vacation. Excuse me. And then when we get it, um, after about a week or two, we're kind of eager to go back to school for the structure. (laughs) Um, I feel like there's a little bit of that. Um, I think there's some of that with my girlfriend being away. At first it was like, oh, wait, I'm going to have a lot of time to myself. And then maybe you get it and you think, oh, you know what? Maybe this time is not all it's cracked up to be. But, um. But I also feel like it has something to do with the pandemic. Maybe we just sort of settle into this way of life and we think, "Um, well, it'll all be over soon. And then every once in a while, enough time goes by and we sort of actually check in with ourselves about how we're, we're doing with all this. And we think, oh, there's no end in sight, really you know, we're talking about the vaccine. So that, that, but, but even then, I don't know why that hasn't had a bigger impact on people. That still feels like a, like, it still feels like it's not, I don't know. Why does that feel so unsatisfying? That should be like, oh great, this will all be over soon. And yet it doesn't feel that way, does it? You know, they're already talking about new strains in Europe. And you just think, man, maybe it's never going to end. And of course, I don't know. I don't want to say of course, but maybe it will. You know, I went grocery shopping yesterday and I just had that, I was sort of equating it to nine eleven in my own mind. I was thinking, you know, if this never goes away, you know, if this is how we live from now on, just sort of queuing up to go to the grocery store, you know, people, I mean, it's like when you watch movies, <laughs> when you watch older movies, like before nine eleven, before the, the terrorist attacks of September 11th, and I actually had this, man, this was, you want to feel like you're getting old. I had this with a trainee at work. And we were talking about this exact same thing. And she had never considered this before. She's significantly younger. She was a baby when September 11th happened. And I was just talking about these types of differences in the world after 9-11 versus before it. And the one that I thought a lot of us had heard was I was saying in movies. You know, you used to watch these romantic comedies where the uh, someone would be leaving on a plane and somebody wanted to profess their love to the person before they left their life forever, right? So they basically run to the gate before the plane takes off, maybe even run down the, uh, I don't even know what you call it, the, the, the um, you know, the fucking thing, the thing that goes to the fucking plane, they go down the thing and, and run onto the plane or whatever it is, but they profess their love to somebody, Right. Or it would be someone getting off a plane and their family is waiting for them. And it's like, you would see those in movies and that was fine. This was before 9-11. Like, you could just walk up to somebody's gate. Now you can't even get past the fucking baggage claim, right? But she had never thought about that before. She was like, oh shit, I guess I never really thought about that. I guess I thought it was just one of those movie conceits. Like, you know, suspension of disbelief. It's just something that happens in movies, you know? Um, But I thought, like, what if this is just, what if I have to describe to my children? Oh yeah, there was a time where we didn't have to line up for the grocery store. You know, there was a time where you didn't have to cross the street when somebody was on the sidewalk walking the other direction from you. You know, they'll be watching movies. It's like when people watch movies and someone's smoking on an airplane, and they think, what the fuck? It's like, yeah, you used to be able to smoke on an airplane. I mean, even smoking sections in restaurants are insane to people. The craziest part was, you know, I, and in some ways now, we sort of know <laughs> what smoking is. It makes sense that we would have the sort of fishbowl style separate room smoking areas. But when I was a kid, it was like you would go to a restaurant and they would ask you smoking or non, and there was nothing separating the smoking section from the non-smoking section. So yeah, the person uh, in the table behind you is not smoking, but sometimes there's just a, like, there's nothing between you and somebody smoking, like, just like two feet away from you. I don't fucking know. Anyway, man, I'm really reaching for stuff to get past this hour. What can I say to push this past the hour, man? I don't know. Yeah, in my mind, I'm going back to that thought. Like, why don't don't I just make this a 50-minute podcast? Why do I have to do the whole hour thing? anyway, maybe I will be kind to myself. Maybe I'll just let myself wrap it up here. Um, anything to say? Gosh, I really don't think so. I hate ending on this note, but I mean, it is what it is. I mean, I'm not really sure what to do about it. So let's just, let's just end it here, folks. Let's, uh, I was going to say, let's call a spade a spade, but someone explained to me that that's actually a racist comment. I'm not sure how, but apparently it is. So, I'll just say, let's call it what it is, and uh, let's go ahead and uh, let's put a pin in this thing. Uh, If you haven't already subscribed to the podcast, and uh, I don't know why this episode would evangelize you, but if you happen to want to subscribe to the podcast, you can on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Everywhere you find good podcasts, You'll find this one. Take a minute. Rate and review us. Give us five stars. Type a couple sentences about why you like the podcast. You know, what are some things you like about the podcast? Go ahead and articulate those. Uh, That can uh, sway people in terms of checking out a show or not. And if you can't think of someone else in your life you think would like this show, go ahead and send them your favorite episode. In the meantime, I think one task i have given myself is I'm going to write a couple things down for the next episode and see if we can't, uh, see if we can't, uh, I can't even think of the phrase. What am I thinking of? Uh, let's end this streak. Let's—it's the pa- the podcast has been difficult. Let's see if your boy can't prepare a few thoughts and uh, and try to give you some some meaningful content. I want to win you back. I want to I want to win myself back. I want to get back in the game. It's a marathon. We've hit the wall. It's hard. I need some goo. I need some electrolytes. I need something to get this podcast going. And uh, that's going to be my homework assignment for the week. Uh, in the meantime. Thank you for listening to date. Thank you for, it it means a lot that you keep tuning in. Um, Thanks for subscribing to the podcast. Thank you for your time. Thank you for listening and ciao for now.